Good morning. Good morning. Well, we uh, on a section today that uh, I can't think of any better place to be talking about the Word of God. You guys want to talk about the Word of God today? <laughs> That's not too unusual, is it? Uh, we move into the very last chapter of this second epistle from Paul to Timothy, this letter. And it's the swan song of Paul. And he's given it to Timothy. We get to have the privilege of seeing what the very last words of, of Paul that were written. We don't know how much longer he lived, but we knew we know because of uh, the next text that we'll be in was uh, he had finished the course. He knew it was time. It was time that God was going to take him. And what he's doing in this letter, he's exhorting Timothy. He's encouraging him on. He's saying, be steadfast, Timothy. And all along, he's just saying, keep, keep doing the Word. Do the Word of God. Guard it. Remain faithful to it. There have been others who have been turning away from the faith. These people were leaders in the church. They were all just bailing out. Paul is concerned what's going to happen to the church. Paul is really concerned what's happening in Ephesus. As he's in jail, he can't really do anything about it but pray and give the Word of God there to Timothy. Really concerned for this young pastor. And this young pastor is going to be Paul's successor in a way. Kind of like uh, you had Moses and then you had Joshua. Think of that. That's kind of along the same lines. He's taking up the mantle. And uh, this is a sense of urgency here that um, Paul has. And there are important instructions to a preacher. And I can identify with this text. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus are called pastoral letters. And they are uh, books of the Bible that I often need to refer to that I do refer to, that I need to go back constantly. It's back to the basics. And uh, I so much appreciate these letters that were written to Timothy and Titus, for it was certainly for me. And then you can ask, well, what about the rest of the people? If it's the pastors, then, then what good is it for me? What can I get out of it? Well, the implications here are very, very important to you. Whatever is true for the preacher is also true for the congregation, all the people. Um, and I do want to say you must hold to what, if, if that preacher is faithful, you must hold to what he says because he's accountable to the Lord. And if he's using the Word of God, he's not using his own opinion and he's using the Word of God, you hold to to what that is there, what has been written there and then uh, what is preached and uh, the pastor is to perform his duty in the right way. And uh, so all of us, everybody is here accountable to this text here today. Um, Yeah, the responsibility to understand the calling of God and you have the responsibility to, to understand what He demands out of His preachers, out of the pastors. God demands much out of this Word of God. And so you guys are here to examine... What I say, I'm accountable not only to the Lord, but I am accountable to you. You must hold me to this truth. I'm not just saying that. You must hold me to this body of truth that has been given, that I would give it out in what it is. God has designed that people be taught. We all are be taught, but to be taught by the Word of God, but by certain gifted men that He has given, and according to Ephesians in chapter 4, 
and they are to pour their lives into uh, the very Word of God and this ministry. And that's God's design. And the people are to be fed so that they be edified so as they go out and they minister. And so it's, it's a constant circle, isn't it? It's a design. It's a serious issue that God has given us. Preachers are to do what God has designed to do, just like the passage that read about creation that we heard earlier. You know, that was His purpose, His will. And uh, at the same time, it's His purpose and His will for people to follow His manual, His instructions, so that He would be glorified. What an accountability we have. So in these first five verses of chapter 4, Paul sets the standard, and the standard is high. And a faithful preacher has quite the standard to maintain. He recognizes, Paul does, he's at the end of his ministry. And boy, does he give a punch to Timothy here before he goes. And he, I, what I think he gives is the most important element that anybody in ministry can have and it's dealing with how you treat the Word of God and what you do with it. I think he is so tremendously impassioned to give this to Timothy that Timothy would have the same passion and that he would not be carried off and away into other things. And these ingredients in these five verses, uh, oh my, it's, it's convicting to me, folks, as I read it all this week. I, you know, I read it all for many, many, many years, but I'm looking at I'm going, boy, these are non-negotiables. Uh, I have no choice, but and you have no choice, but to pay attention to what these are. This is a must for any ministry. And that's why Paul really hammered on it. And at the end, it's like he's saying some of the same things he said, but I think he says it even more profound than he ever has in his life as he ends this up. Pay attention. So in the verses, uh, verse one and two, he shows why preaching is of the utmost importance. Why it is so important? It's the most important thing any kind of people can do, and this is why it is. The verses three and four shows why the hearing of the word of God is of utmost importance. Not only why preaching is, but why listening to it is. So this gets all of us, doesn't it? And then in verse 5, in light of all the inevitable opposition that comes up against the Christian, he shows why a faithful pastor, a faithful Christian, must persevere in preaching and teaching and administering the Word of God. So we get the why, we get the uh, hearing, why the hearing, why the preaching, why the hearing, and then the persevering. Persevering. So, let's honor God's Word by reading about God's Word by standing up and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the first five verses. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort 
with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this charge. We thank You that as we are now charged to give an account of this Word to others, and as we preach this Word today, may it be powerful and touch every one of us, that it be Your Spirit that goes forth to each and every one that's here, and that it would make an impact powerfully on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if Paul had said, I solemnly charge you, preach the Word, that would be very strong, wouldn't it? It would have been a strong exhortation. If he had said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the Word, that would have even been stronger and strong enough, right? Right? If he would have said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, that would have been off the charts, wouldn't it? But what if he says this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Do you get it? Wow. Is there anything more emphatic than that? He could have just just stopped with, I solemnly charge you, preach the Word. But do you see what He does? All the way to the, the, his, uh, the, the living Christ and, and uh, as He judges the living and the dead and is appearing in His kingdom. That is emphatic. There are imperatives or commands in this passage today. You guys are all familiar with this text, right? This is nothing unfamiliar to you at all, especially where it says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Do you see the setting and the text that is in now with where we have been? Uh, At the end of chapter 3, which goes right into chapter 4, which there really are no chapter verse divisions in a letter, it would just go right on into that. For the man of God may be equipped uh, for every good work because of this inspired Word of God. And so he says, "I I solemnly charge you, and then on forth. And then he says, preach the Word. You know, so there's where, that is where we are at. First of all, in view of the presence of God and the coming judgment, why preach? Why preach? Well, the Word of God must be preached because Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming to judge everyone. He's coming to judge everyone to establish His kingdom. And because of that, if there are people out there that are lost, they need to hear the Word. They need to hear the Gospel because the judge is going to be coming. The judge is coming. He's appearing. He's going to be appearing. There's going to be a kingdom. So he starts with the word, I solemnly charge. Uh, the word is dia martyrumai. And actually it's dealing, if you've heard of martyre, uh, martyrumai, 
uh, martyr. Uh, that was so equated of being a martyr is because you were a witness. That's how the word witness came about, martyr in our English. Um, martyry. Uh, here it's via martyry. It means to witness to, uh, to witness uh, against, to attest to. I uh, do that. The, the witnesses here... Um, of the charge really uh, is really the Trinity. It's God the Father and Jesus Christ and, of course, Holy Spirit, the whole triune God. I solemnly charge you in the, in the presence there. I, I solemnly charge you. It had a legal nuance, uh, um, a legal manner. It's a, like taking an oath in the court of law. It's like Timothy is in front of the judicial bench and God is there and Timothy is being charged by Paul under oath with taking a serious task of proclaiming God's Word to those who will someday stand in front of the bench giving an account of their lives. They will be judged. Believer and unbeliever. We'll get to that in just a few moments. Uh, I think that is rather solemn, isn't it? That is why we preach the Word because God is going to judge. He's going to come back. The presence of God, He says. Solomon will charge you in the presence of God. You live, you work, every aspect of your life is always visible to God. We're right here today. It's visible to God. And we know that God and Christ are in our presence and matter of fact, we know that as Paul tells Timothy this, he says, God and Jesus Christ, they're, they're present right here. They are hearing this charge and holding you responsible. Wow. That should be taken seriously when somebody says that we are held responsible and God, um, the triune God is there and says we are accountable to Him. To them, Paul invokes the very presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That is rather somber. It says in James three one, and all preachers, all teachers, really have to really keep this in mind. And anybody that goes into teaching, of course, this is a verse that's really one to uh, take note of. Let not many of you become teachers. Why? But don't we want a lot of teachers? Well, of course. But he says, we just don't, anybody and everybody, uh, you know, if you've not been sent, don't, don't do it. He says, my brethren, knowing that as such as we will incur a what? A stricter judgment. It's there. I will be judged more strictly than any of you. That's why you hear preachers say they come in fear and trembling. I don't think I fear and tremble it enough whenever I read that I'm going to be held more accountable than you guys for what I do here today. I'm accountable to what I I do. I mean, that is rather uh, very serious, very somber. We are to take life seriously. One day we will stand before the living God to give an account of our lives. And he can say, Dennis, I thought that has already been done. I thought it was done at the cross. And it was. All your sin was taken away there if he's trusting him. And say, what do you mean everybody is still going to stand before him? Well, first of all, we know that unbelievers are going to stand before him because in Revelation chapter 20, 
starting at verse 11, it's the great white throne judgment. And who do we see here at the great white throne judgment? They are people that are going to be judged according to their works. What does that mean? That's all they have to offer. Their works. And so here's here's who we see. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, it didn't matter, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The books of the deeds. According to their works. This is not the Bema seat. This is the great white throne judgment. Get it clear. Read this. It's according to their deeds. Are you going to be judged according to your deeds? I don't want to be here. I don't I am not going to be here. I will point out where I will be. But this one says. These are according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And and here's the ones that are going to be judged. Who are they? The dead. If you have been born again, you are alive. You can say, yeah, but I will die. Yeah, but what will happen as soon as you die? You will go into the presence of the Lord. You have eternal life. There's no more death for you. The body will die, but you will not. You are a new man, a new person. You'll be resurrected to a new body. Who are these people? They're the ones judged according to their deeds. And they are the dead. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. If I'm judged according to my deeds, I'm done. I'm cooked, I'm smoked. Literally. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. You are born once, you will die twice, the second death, into eternal judgment. You were born twice. You died once. And if anyone's name was not found in the written book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's a book of life for people, but those are the people that don't come out of the dead. These people already have life. And so you can see, we already know that there will be a judgment to unbelievers, and they don't have the cross to claim. They don't have anything but the but the very works of their own. And they'll even some of them will say, But but Father, you know, I did this, I did that in your name, I did miracles, I cast out demons. And he says, Get away from me. I never knew you. I didn't know you. I don't know you. I don't intimately know you. That's the the idea of knowing, having a, a relationship with them and knowing them. He says, Get away. I don't want to be a part of that crowd at all. He doesn't know. They are dead. But there is a Bema seat, a judgment seat for Christians also. It's it's really the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. It's not judged, being judged upon your works. 
your deeds. Uh, go to Romans 14 now. Romans 14, starting at verse 10. So we're talking about judgment here today. Well, you get the count, whole counsel of God. You know, I mean, you get uh, so many different doctrines just in uh, like a verse or two. You ever notice that? Romans 14.10 But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For And then he, he says, I'll, I'll tell you about the real judgment. He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. There is a judgment seat for everybody, whether it be Christians, unbelievers, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There still is that account for a Christian to give. And so we go to a helpful verse in 2 Corinthians 5.10. So what, how are we going to be judged? How are we going to give an account? I, I thought we were already judged at the cross then. Yes, we were. Our sins were cast away. Never to be held against us. He says in 5.10 of 2 Corinthians, For we must all appear, he's talking to Christians here now, before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Bema. This is where when the athletes ran in the Olympics, they would go for the victory as in every race or in every wrestling match or whatever it is. And if you win, which you trained for all that time, if you win, you get, you know, you get a crown. You know, it's a perishable wreath, but it uh, signifies something um, much more uh, you know, representing what, uh, what you've done. And they would go up to the Bema seat. The Bema standing right there and the judge of that race would then declare that one is the winner. And he gets the crowns. There are crowns in Scripture. You've seen those? And then we also see in Revelation that the people take the crowns and what? Cast them before the Lord at the feet. But it's saying that He rewards His children for what they have done here. Some will get much reward. Some will get very little. They all go to the kingdom of God. They all are going to be glorified. They're all going to be in the presence of God. And they're really not going to be missing anything. But yet at the same time, there are things that we've done in our life that we could have done and we're not going to get a reward for that because uh, you know our sin as far as salvation is concerned is done with but then we have a sanctification process here and as we are obedient to Him, He rewards those. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And He says um, they'll be recompensed for the deeds in the body while we're here according to what He has done or whether good or bad. And that's why I think it says every tear will be wiped away. And I heard somebody say uh, before, and it's never uh, gone out of my memory since then, it's like we could be crying at that very moment as he, as, as we're before a holy God. We recognize where we were not obedient to Him, where we should have gotten a crown, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, maybe we were 
do it in a few things, but other things we blew it, you know, and we would be tearful. We could be mourning, and he, then he wipes that away, and we have a, a glorified eternity. I think that's uh, kind of a neat thought. It may, it may not be that way, but wiping away every tear from our eyes, there will be no more sorrow, no more grief. And so I think right there would be that, that beam of seed and we would not be getting what maybe we, we should have gotten what He designed for us. That's how serious this is. We want to do everything that He has given us to do, don't we? With all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. I know, I know. Guilty, every one of us. Because we have not done everything that we would like to do. And even when we do... It's so weak. You see, this is, you know, the grace of God is so good. But um, there is dealing with the judgment. Christ will appear, it says here. We go back to our um, Timothy passage. Did that help a little bit going through the, the judgment? Shows that there is a judgment, judgment for all, giving an account. And so that, that's the context of the presence of God. And, and it says here. Solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. We we just covered that, didn't we? And His appearing and His kingdom. The appearing there is epiphaneo. You ever heard of epiphany? An appearing. Christ will appear. The word appear, that's used of of an emperor's visit to a village, a province, a town. And just before his visit, everybody would make sure, and people from the king's party would come, make sure that everything was cleaned up. All the trash, the garbage, everything that's sitting there that shouldn't be there. The streets are swept clean. Uh, the buildings are scrubbed down. It's looking beautiful. And ready for the king to come. And that's the idea. Christ, the king, is coming. His appearance is happening. Don't we want to be ready whenever he appears? Do you believe He's coming back? Be ready. Preach so that people's lives are cleaned up by God's Holy Spirit and His Word. Be ready for His return. We preach the Word. So there is the first one. Why do we preach? Because of the coming judgment and the appearing of Christ and His kingdom. And now, what do we preach? Verse 2. Preach the Word. That's what we're about. That's what we're talking about. You're not hearing any stories or jokes this morning, are you? Now, if it helps to illustrate, there's nothing wrong with that. But what are we hearing here? Preach the Word. So we're taking each one of these words apart and we're explaining what it is and we're also putting it into application because when you hear about that judgment, doesn't that make you think, oh, that's... It's not that you go in with a whole church and he, you know, and he grades on a on a curve or anything, you know. But each one of us, each just like each one of us went through the turnstile, we didn't all get to salvation at the same time the same way, did we? We all each went through that turnstile, and we'll go through the turnstile to get up to the bema seat or the the finish of the race, you know. I like that across the finish line. Now remember, no chapter break, but back in chapter three. He says to Timothy, you know, you were given the sacred writings. It led to salvation. And then in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. 
I can't think of anything better to teach than than the Word of God. There's so much here that we'll never cover in our lifetime. We have enough here. More than enough. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's profitable for everything. So that, why? That the man of God, all of us, may be adequate. Equipped for every good work. Whatever work He's designed you, that you be equipped now and you're able to do that. Whether it be here in this little body of Christ or whether it be outside of this building, we are being equipped so that we can serve Him. And then He says, I solemnly charge you. See how that just flows right into that? Because it's so profitable for teaching, you can be equipped I I charge you, Timothy, you make sure because God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, they are witnesses of this charging right here and you're accountable to them, the the triune God, the persons, three persons. Preach the Word. And so, what to preach? The word there is Caruso. Remember the the t-shirt company? Caruso. Preach. Preach. Um, Preach. Preach, preach. Caruso. The idea. Um, means to proclaim. It means to herald the message. You had a herald of the king. He would go out and guess what he would do? He would give the message from the king to the herald who would go to the towns and say exactly what he said. Well, instead he says, I think I'll tell them this though. Let's see. I think that they need to receive me in a way that they will really like me and I'm going to tell them a lot of jokes and just, and I'm going to keep it short. Just a few minutes. And I'm not going to say anything that the the king sounds pretty harsh on some things and I'm sure not going to say that because they're not going to like me. He doesn't have the option to do that. He can't just make up whatever he wants to do. He is to be governed by the text. And so, it has to be this. A preacher, and I want you to catch this because I think this is what we do here, but you have to hold me accountable, okay? A preacher must explain the text. That's what a preacher does. He explains the text and then applies the doctrine of the Bible to the lives. He reads it, he explains it, and then applies it. How it belongs in our in our lives. So we should be saying, all of us, okay, I understand what has been said today. This came really from the king. It's not coming from Dennis. It's coming from the king. And if he's saying this, I'm accountable to the king. Right? I understand what he's saying, and I understand how it applies to my life. Whatever comes out of this text, it's the king's message to proclaim it faithfully. I can't be some kind of a herald just making up whatever I think to be there. I have to make a message so that it is understood and so that it is applied. That's what my duty is. So as I think about this text all week, I have to realize who this is going to, I have to know the individuals. I think that helps. 
And so that will apply to the whole group and then go to the individuals and still yet at the same time not aiming at one person. I don't even think about the individuals. But it's a sad lack of biblical preaching in our pulpits today that this is not being done. It's not. Preachers will take a text, they will, they will read a, a, a section very loosely. They hold fast, loosely. They don't hold fast to the word, but loosely. And so they can read a text, they can jump off from there and go to some kind of uplifting stories, maybe some things that he's done in his life, but they don't explain. The preacher doesn't apply the words of the text out of the context here. Some will give nice, upbeat, positive messages. They will give self-help messages that you can quickly use and with a few verses sprinkled in for good measure. But you could take all those verses away, whatever they read, take them away, and the rest of the story there could be put on CNN, could be put on in Reader's Digest, anything that's out in the world, and not even offend anybody because they are going to make sure that they never say the word sin or they never convict anybody because it might turn people away. That's why we're heading into that next verse. So take note of that. If you just strip away those verses, you could put it anywhere else and everybody would go, yes, yes. All the liberal people would go, yes. And the people who don't even care about church, yes. Because they would agree with about being good and treating each other so kindly. We hear that. And not judging others. A nice, soft Jesus. That's okay to the world. So... Scripture gives us the wisdom to lead to salvation. Uh, chapter 3, verse 15 says that. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, everything pertaining to life and godliness. If a preacher doesn't explain and apply the Scripture, his preaching may be entertaining. It may, may be so inspirational. But it doesn't have life-changing power. And that's what we're talking about. Go to um, Acts 20, verse 27. Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders, For I did not shrink from declaring, preaching to you the whole purpose of God. The whole counsel of God. The whole will of God. The decrees of God. (laughs) As we learned this morning. I didn't shrink back from that. I gave you everything that I possibly could. The whole counsel of God. Don't you like that? Look in 2 Timothy 1.13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 
Verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard's truth. Chapter 2, verse 15, we've read that. Um, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling. We need to be taught. We need to be constantly sitting under others' teaching. I do it all week long, reading other books, reading other, hearing other messages. Then forming that up, going back to the Word of God, searching that out, seeing where other passages are there, getting that meaning. I'm accountable to what God has given me. And you can say, the more I know, the more I'm held accountable. And say, yeah, that's why I don't want to know anymore. Because now I won't be held accountable. Wrong. <laughs> that means He's given you all this. Guess what? He's got, he's got more for you. It doesn't run dry, guys. And matter of fact, you should be wanting more. And then more, you can say, well, I've been hearing it for 20 years, 30 years, and you know, I, there's nothing else. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's right, but hey, I've heard it all. No, you haven't. <laughs> we are just babies. We just, we just started. Colossians 1, 25. Don't ever think you've heard it all. Of this church, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Why? So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. And we talked about Karl Barth uh, earlier this week. Um, quite a theologian, but it had a little bit different understanding in a way to, uh, that he put it. And I disagree with a lot of the way that he did that. I will tell you that. But you have to admire him whenever he was in Germany um, back in the 30s. Remember that? You remember that um, they were against the Jews? And, uh, of course, they had a systematic way of getting them together and then killing the Jews. Nobody much was speaking out. Karl Barth, in this German audience, was preaching on John 3.16. Everybody knows that. But he made the point that Jesus was a Jew. And that He died for all the world. I mean, all sorts of different peoples all across the, the, the world. The Jews are part of that world. They are part of those people. And thus, anyone who loves Christ would not participate in the ill treatment of the Jews. He's speaking to this congregation and he's preaching the truth. And people started walking out in disgust before he finished the sermon. And somebody wrote a scathing letter denouncing him. Bart's reply was a single sentence. It was in the text. (laughs) That kind of preaching takes courage. Must be patient, must be gentle, instructing, but must proclaim and apply the text. Explain the text 
and apply it. If you go to hear a message from somebody, make sure that they really preach the word testify. We are to be like Bereans. Are they explaining the text? Are they saying some really nice things that I can agree with, but they're not explaining the text? I'm not understanding this text the way that he just preached it. And they might give you some kind of application. What are they preaching? Really preaching. John Stott once said, there are many popular preachers today, but not many powerful ones. He's right. There are men in the pulpit. Gather the crowds. They're gifted orators. Yeah, but he's a great speaker. They are interesting storytellers. They are very entertaining communicators. They have dynamic personalities. I don't know if I'm any of those. And they're shrewd crowd manipulators. And they can get a crowd. Yes, yes. Boy, they can get any crowd to almost say anything. There are people that can do that. Say, Dennis, you're missing all of those things. <laughs> They're rousing speech makers. Oh, they get people up and they get them pumped up. You've heard of popular politicians and scholars. They may be popular, but that doesn't mean they're powerful. No one preaches with power who doesn't preach the Word of God. They may hear entertainment. They may hear manipulation. They might see personality. They might see communication. But if it's not on this, they have no power. Remember that. Remember that. Test. Test. When do we preach the Word? Be ready in season and out of season. When is that? All the time. All the time. Picture a paramedic unit. They're on call. They're ready to save somebody's life all the time. They're on call. Souls are perishing without Christ. We're on call. In season, out of season. Never off duty. A preacher is never off duty. You get calls at any time. Should. It will happen. Call at any time. I have to be open to that. Four o'clock in the morning. Make sure that this is serious. <laughs> Life-consuming passion. Whenever, wherever you can, regardless of the climate, regardless how comfortable, uncomfortable, regardless of how favorable, unfavorable, regardless of whatever the opinion of the hearers have, regardless of the culture that we live in. When the, be faithful when the preaching is tolerated and be faithful when it's not tolerated. And I want to face it right here, right now. Right now, at this moment, in our day we live, it's out of season. Absolutely out of season. Nobody wants to hear it unless you're Christian. Unbelievers don't want to hear it. Christians don't even want to hear it. Churchgoers don't want to be preached to anymore. The baby boom generation, that's my generation. They just won't sit in a pew while someone up there in the front preaches. Not their thing. They started falling out of church a long time ago. Long time ago. Especially the men. 
you usually see the women, maybe they, they hung with it and stayed with it. Men just fell. Products of a media-driven generation. And if they're there, then they need some kind of a church experience that will satisfy them on their own terms. Paul says an excellent minister will be faithful to preach the Word even when it's not fashionable. How do you preach the Word? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. How do you preach it? There was a radio interview with a well-known preacher who emphasized positive preaching. And he said... If you're going to preach, make sure you avoid any mention of sin in preaching. Because people are burdened with too much guilt anyway. They should be. Where did that come from? (laughs) Exactly. The interviewer asked how he could justify such a view of that. He said... uh, He made the decision early in his ministry to focus on meeting people's needs. Not ever attacking their sin. Look, there are people that are really hurt. I just want to meet their needs. That's true. It is really. But what is the thing that happens first? Sin has to be preached. It has to be brought out. Otherwise, we just cover it over. They make them feel good and they're never offended. So it's easy to walk into the customer-friendly church. That is what the evangelical church of our day is. And I speak against that kind of church. I do it. I do it right here. I don't want to say that we're that way. But I still have to be accountable because I could very well be that way. That is what is out there. Try it if you want. Go look at it. Not getting your needs met here? I think you are. I think the Word of God is proclaimed here. I'm not patting myself on the back. But I am saying this Word right here with the Spirit of God will convict us and that is our greatest need. I need to be loved on. Well, yeah, that, that should come with encouragement from other Christians and the Word of God. The greatest need is that people need to be reproved. The Word there, this is what the Word says. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we preach the Word? Reprove. Reprove. We've seen that Word earlier back in chapter 3, just a few verses. All Scripture is profitable for teaching for reproof. Reprove. It's a legal term. It means to present your case in such a manner that would convince your opponent of the wrong that has been done. A preacher must present the case in a convincing manner using the Word so that the hearers are persuaded that Scripture is right and our attitude is wrong, our behavior is wrong. And the Spirit then comes in and starts convicting, reproving. It says in John 16.8, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. Concerning sin. Do we hear that? Concerning sin. Our sin. Righteousness, which is God's righteousness. His holiness. And if we don't line up with that, there is judgment. John 16.8. Jesus said that. 
Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, judgment. Wow. There should be a message of reproving. And then the next word is rebuke. It means to bring one to repentance. That should make you feel better after you've been repenting. But people, to feel better after there has been no repentance is a sad state. Because they're still in their sin. And they're still trying to meet their needs. And they feel good as they walk out of there and for the next week, yeah, I heard this is, this is light and it's fluffy. This is good. But what is it? They needed to be rebuked. You're sinning against God. You need to repent. You need to change your mind, change your behavior. Um, we have a watered-down, feel-good Christianity. William Barclay wrote that. And what's interesting, William Barclay is one I would not recommend everybody to read for commentaries. There are some things that he has that's very good on culture and customs, manners of the times, and I've used him for that. I don't recommend him. I don't usually quote from him. But he said this, and I think this is fascinating, that a liberal would say this. Any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. Wow! He's a partial liberal. <laughs> Man, uh, uh, I gave him a point on that one. Any, any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin or not about sin, I'll put in my own words, is a menace to Christianity and to the rest of mankind if we don't tell them about sin. Wow. So, the Word of God reproves, it rebukes, it exhorts, that means to call alongside. That's the beauty of Parakaleo. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Exhort to right behavior. Some people need rebuke and then others need encouragement. We need to know who those are. Some people really need to be rebuked because they're still in their sin. There are other people who are guilty. They've confessed their sin and they need some encouragement. We need to come along and put our arms around them. You know, a preacher's job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. <laughs> comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Sometimes we can get real comfortable, can't we? We need to be stirred up. With great patience, we do that. Macrothumeo. Macro, big. Gigantic. Long. Thumio, it's the fuse that we've always said, a long fuse. People require time to change. They don't always get it the first time around. I don't get it the first time around. And the preacher of the Word says it over and over again. And over and over. <laughs> Got a preacher in out there. They still don't get it. <laughs> I still don't get it. So we preach it over again. We never lead the people in their weakness. We don't want to see them weak. And He gives them careful instruction so they can grow in Christ. And that's the word instruction. That's the word teaching again. You see preaching, you see teaching here. It's constant, folks. It's every day of the week. We should never get tired of this. Don't you want to be instructed? Instructed. Teaching there is didache. Instruction. Patience. Well, there's verse 2. 
That was the first part. Now we get to the challenge. The challenge is don't compromise. Because here's what's going to happen. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We've heard of that. That time will come. Remember in chapter 3, verse 1, realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Chapter 4, first few verses, he's saying the same thing. What does he say in verse 2 of chapter 3? For men will be lovers of self. That's the real problem. That's about self. It's about me. It's about me. I need to know myself. The challenge is, whenever people do that, they are about themselves. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He says, you keep preaching the Word anyway. A man of God must go against the flow and even the Christian flow sometimes. He gives four commands here. And this this is uh, the time Time will come. Kairos. It's an epic of time. Again, we have that. that, that, that an epic will come. There will be a, this particular time period or will come. Keep preaching the Word anyway. Man of God has to go against the flow. There will be ear ticklers and there will be people that want their ears tickled. Some will fall away from the faith. Have we heard that? It's a prophetic warning to Timothy. Here again, he's told him this. Not only will difficult times come, not only will people fall away. We've just been studying that, haven't we? But there is coming a time when people will not want to hear the Word of God. I'm convinced we are in that epoch. You can take it back a few decades ago, and even though it may not have been the most popular, there were churches all over the place, and for the most part, they were conservative. What do they want to hear? Ear-tickling stuff. They want to literally heap to themselves the teachers that give them the right kind of stuff that they want. In periods of unsettled faith, says one writer, and skepticism, and just being curious, they start speculating matters, thinking on something different than what they have been taught. They don't want to endure the sound doctrine. Sound there is Hugano. We get our word hygiene, health, hygiene. They don't want healthy words. They want candy. They don't want medicine. They want desserts to cover up the wound. They, they, they can't listen to a message that's strong for two weeks in a row because it'll confront their sin. It confronts their error. It convicts them. It calls them to truth and obedience. They don't want healthy teaching. Why? Because they've been corrupted by the world. And it's thinking. They don't want to give up their sinful lifestyles. They want somebody to come along and make them do what? Feel good about the way they live. Ear-tickling teaching. Why are people unwilling to endure sound doctrine? Because they love what? Sin. They don't want to be convicted. They want to be entertained. They want pleasant feelings. They want anecdotes. They want humor. They want psychology. They want motivational lectures. You can go out there in the secular realm and hear motivational all the time. I hear it at my work. Constantly give you motivation. A lot of Christian principles behind it, whether they know it or not. But still, yet it's lacking something. They want reassurance. They want positive thinking. They want self-congratulations. They want... Ego, massaging, sermonettes, small talk. 
not biblical reproof, not biblical rebuke, not biblical exhortation. The truth of God does not tickle our ears. It actually burns them. Or somebody said it boxes. I'll box your ears. Have you ever given that little illustration to yourself? I wonder what that would look like if you walked around with boxes. You know, or, I'll box your ears. I heard that. They'll turn away their ears. Preachers deny the reality of hell today. Um, the modern gospel promises heaven really apart from holiness. Churches ignore the biblical teaching on women's roles. The biblical teaching on homosexuality. You know the next step. The conservative churches now will fall into that because if it gets around that they're teaching against homosexuality, some of them are going to have to just stop it. A lot of other issues that are politically charged. The human medium has overtaken the divine message. And that's evidence of a serious doctrinal compromise that we have. Now we go to the character after they turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside the myth, he says, Timothy, it's going to happen. You're going to have people just drop out by the droves. Here's what I want you to do. Yeah, Timothy says, I'm getting out of this. <laughs> I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. No, he's warning you. This is what's going to, you're going to have people drop out. Okay? He says, here's what I want you to do. And this is to all of us. Don't give up. But you, be sober in all things. Be sober. Nephil, well-balanced, stable, level-headed, steadfast, mentally alert, a stable person. A preacher should not be flaky, trendy. Sometimes the preachers want to be trendy. They're, the, they're now call, calling themselves CEOs of the church. I kid you not. That's sickening. It's a changing world. It's a vacillating church. As the world changes, the church just is like ten years behind in the context of a rocking and reeling society. We are to be rooted. We are to be steadfast. We're to be stable. We're to be rock solid. We're to never compromise. This is it. This is what we have. Sure not popular. Endure hardship. That means to suffer evil. It's sure not popular. Suffer evil. Expect difficulty, not popularity. No ministry of any kind of value at all is painless. Do the work of an evangelist. Evangelism. Good news. Preaching the Gospel. And it's a mission field in the church and in some mission field outside the church. I know your gift is pastoring, Timothy, but you also do the work of an evangelist. All of us are to be giving the good news. And the last one, fulfill your ministry. That means to bring to completion. To fill to the full, Stephen Lawson said, it literally means. To fill to the full. You know what that means? Everything that the Lord has given you to do, fill it up. What all you have, You know what it is. All that God has called you to do, do it. Fulfill your ministry. Don't bail out of the ministry. Oh, it would be a lot easier to bail out. Run into opposition. It says, fulfill your calling as a preacher of God's truth. Paul says, 
Follow me in fighting the good fight so that you'll finish the course. Follow me. Come on. John Calvin made the point that rather than giving up because of opposition, the more intense the opposition, the more vigorously we must fight. I'm worn out. Fight vigorously. To ward off Satan's attacks on the church. That's where it's coming from. Don't concede the battle to the enemy. Defend the gospel against all the attacks. I end with this. Very shortly, the time of our departure will come. We're going to look at Paul's departure next week. But our departure will come. Mine will come. We depart from this earth as we know it today. We'll stand before Sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ, the judge of the living and the dead, as it said here, and in view of that solemn day, it's essential. I'm speaking to my ear, self here, I preach here. I have to preach God's word. Amen. It's essential that you preach God's word. It's essential that we listen to the preaching of God's word with a view to obedience. And on that great day when we stand before Christ, we want to hear this. Well done good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of my presence, my kingdom. Father, we do want to hear that that day. We do want to be ready. Thank You for cleaning us up and continuing to clean us as we live in the midst of a dirty world. And we get dirty too. Keep helping us be clean from the labor of the Word of God as You sprinkle it on us and that we be so convicted by Your Word and what it does that we would desire right now to this day to further give more of ourselves to You than we had before. And it's all for Your glory. And Lord, as we take this Lord's Supper, may it truly reflect our seriousness as we think upon our sin, Your holiness, and Your changing us into the image of Christ. And that is our message for the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I'm gonna have um, this side where Debbie starts here, and we have our communion with each other in the Lord.
We have solemnly been charged to proclaim the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. For that is how sins are forgiven. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. The fruit that is produced is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord Lord is thy strength. The joy of the Lord, joy of the Lord, joy of the Lord is thy strength.
to the other farmers that didn't want it. There's a big lawsuit going on. Because now, first they were getting sued for stealing. They were saying that they were stealing uh, the regular farmers' corn was starting to take on the attributes of the the yeah. Altered, altered, yeah, corn. Right. And they thought that they were stealing their corn. This was miles and miles away. Oh, my goodness. And they found out the well, bees or something. Right. Yeah. 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 Y
Actually, the coconut oil will actually help you keep your cholesterol check. Well, now is that going to upset what I'm already on?
there because you now what you can do is you can take this one on and off. Now that looks really easy right now. Believe me, it'll give you some work. It'll it'll this will give you a whole week. If you can learn to do this, you will be going somewhere. It's not a now, I'm, I'm doing an easy one here. I took this off. All of these are off now. So I'm using a third fret. Here's a second fret. No fret. Just by then, and now you can do a thousand different things with these old This is all I'm doing. Now, I, by my rhythm of this hand, yeah, I'm always keep this one here. I'm going to, he's the home guy. And these guys are going to say, hey, I'll, uh, I'll kind of help out. I'll do my thing if this guy down here does his thing. And then you both can go and we'll just. I go one, two, 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 So, now, the thing is, when you start playing guitar, it, you, you have to pay for it, because if you do it a few weeks, and all of a sudden, you see right in here, I don't know if you can even hear it, but I got talent. It never hurts. It never, never hurts, because it's so long. Yeah, and yours is soft, and it goes down there and it hits it, and it hurts. And and you can see like the blood rushing there to your finger. It's not coming out, but it's, it's rushing up there. Why? Why Because you're putting pressure on it. <laughs> Extreme pressure. But uh, but you can do that with your guitar. So it's, I was operating out of the second fret. That's right. And you go one two one two one two. And that's a pattern that's done in a lot of music today. They do that kind of thing in a lot of songs. I see a lot of songs around it. And strumming is just going back and forth. Back and forth. i got to find the fingers that will work because, best for me. Well, that's, that's good. That'll be fine. You can Finally get a tower, and it would never hurt anymore. And 
but you have to build it up. It's just like, you know, an athlete who's training. When you play on soccer, before you ever play games, you guys go out and practice, right? And practice is not as fun as a game. And I bet you they get you to run, too. You ever had you run and just getting just running? And you know what that's about. That's to build up endurance. That's what this kind of exercise is doing. It makes your fingers start getting hard. Then you want to play guitar. Right now, you want to be like him. But that's that's the the kind of thing. Okay. And I don't know. It might be easier on your guitar to play. And he can look right there. But you get the idea. Well, my guitar is my size. I know. I know. This thing's huge. This is a cool. This is a neat chord. Okay. In this way, 
and you did it so easy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would be a beginner if I had to do this. Now, I, now I'm on your level. <laughs> That's good. Okay, you see my, my finger, you use this second finger here on the second string, and use your third finger on the first one, and that leaves you this one. Now you can do this. Remember about where I was taking that one off? And then I have this. See? <laughs> I can't do it that way. <laughs> I can use this hand, do this all the time. <laughs> you know? Uh, or. You know, all I'm doing is I'm pulling these off. I, get, I go like that. You can do it once. You pull it off. If you have two in a row, that's how you get. Have you ever heard these kind of looks on the guitar? Somebody's doing it. Well, what I was doing there is I was taking the, the same very strings that you've been learning or the frets. I take, and I all I do, I just hit this once down here, and I let these fingers do the trick. It is a trick is all it is. It's a trick. You can think about pulling this off and then pulling that off. It goes like this. You see that? And all I do is just keep, I press on there again. Finger roll, finger roll. <laughs> so all sorts of tricks like that. Do you see what we can do in five minutes? How much you, you can learn? But I don't know what finger you you just use two fingers there, whatever finger you're using. But if you do this one, you're going to have to use your third and this, and then this finger will be the one that you'll use on here when you want to use it. So you'll have to move this to make this use it and still not hit the fret. Okay. We're going back to that da 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 da, da right? Yeah. And sometimes you can leave it on, sometimes you can take it off. Yeah. But that's the idea. And then, then you take this off, you leave the same fingering, and, you, and then you leave it right here. You, get, you, you use three different fingerings. Only this one won't be heard until you take this off. That's yeah. already there. For some reason, instead of using the tip of my finger like this, I work a lot better using this part right here. Like right in this space. Well, it comes down to figuring I'm it out. That's strange. Yeah. That's a lefty for you. <laughs> Lefties are strange. You've been told that? <laughs> Those lefties. Yeah, I was trying to do what you do, only in the opposite way, and I'm going, wow, uh, yeah, I'm trying to learn all over again. I couldn't do it, I'd have to, but I'd have to practice. I could do it. But you're naturally left-handed, I can definitely see that. You need to play left-handed. So you pluck it while moving both of your fingers up, like... Uh, well, you need, oh, you mean that? Uh, well, what I do is I, I'm even doing it with my thumb on my thumb here. See, all this, it's right there, and all I do is I pluck this, the same time while I'm plucking this, I just pull off of it. So as I hit this, I go, now I'm doing two notes, and I'm only striking it once. You get this? Now, if I have two fingers on here, then I can do this. I pull this off, I pull this off. Just hit this how many times? Once. Once I hit this, do that. I just pull off. So 
all sorts of different things you can do. Yeah, right. And they were, you know, they were, they taught me something. 
Okay. Because I, just, I did ask you about it. You know, so they weren't able to come in there and
That's good about the the songs that that I do. I have to be concentrating so much on the playing yeah, that I you yeah. know I don't catch all the words right, right. That's bad, but and here we yeah. sit out here, wait, wait, wait. I you know here's fall. <laughs> Always wonder what are people using those handkerchiefs about? What's going on? This is the music, man. Why are you crying, big sissy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. people come in.
word wisdom and purpose. Yeah. Will. Yeah. Adoption. Yes, no. You know what? I mean, you can decree anything. Okay, if well, you're I'm the third, I'm going to test you if that table is black. Well, I forgot to tell you, it's got scratches all over it. But if I'm going to decree that, ta- decree that table, it's black and it's got scratches and it's got, you know, Grandma, I'm going to tell you, Grandma, the whole thing. <laughs> what is going on there? Adoption. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a key oh. word. Mm-hmm. I don't know, two weeks ago. Oh, I got you. <laughs> I'm busy. I got it. I'll lock it up, turn the fans off. All right. My definition it actually felt good here today, didn't it, when you first came in? Something you were that was it? I got hot. Even when you came in at first? At first. Yeah. At first it was good, wasn't it? Not. Right. Month. It was like about seven. God doesn't. But what are you talking about? Adoption. Like I'm hearing people need, I guess. He adopted a man. It's kind of warm because of why and what it took him Well, you got blue, more blueberries, more blueberries to the order. After you deliver, then you have to pack them up. Well, have a good uh, first work, uh, work week at work. First week at work. I can tell you I'm not going to be here Tuesday because Right, right. Oh, school is starting. School is starting. Wow. Open house is Tuesday. Now, um. Well, I'm not going to be at open house. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want to come to our open house? Uh, oh, I got prior. Commitment? Uh, <laughs> there are two of them that I can never get. Uh, been there, done that. There are two of them that I can never get. One of them is justification. Ooh, that's good. How can you help me? Very good word. We'll make it simple as we can. To declare, you know what declare means? To declare right or righteous. Simple as can be. You, you're a Christian. You have been declared righteous or justified. That means as far as God's eye is concerned, what are you? You're justified. Yeah, but I'm not good enough. You're declared right. Sanctification. Justification, sanctification. Sanctification is to live right. Oh, I got it. Set apart. Set apart. Oh, you ever heard the word holy? When we say God is holy, that means God is sanctified or He's set apart. He's set apart from sin. He's set apart from everything, right? Well, we are to be set apart to God. Say holy cow, it's almost a slap to God. Set apart. Because I'm not going to. always say that rather than yeah, say a lot of bad things. Yeah, I know. Really, you shouldn't. Yeah, I know. Well, I knew you had a thing in news. That is holy. Exactly. Set apart. Paper. You know, I have never heard that. <laughs> Why don't we say <laughs> that? <laughs> there really is an elephant. Oh, yeah. There's a we 
about at least 90% of people who say they're Christians couldn't answer part of any of those ones. You know? I'm talking about adults that have been in churches for years. We had an Indian lady who answered one day why what did she ask you? Why do we believe in God? I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. Why you she was just a little tough. Yeah, she's a little tough. <laughs> and, um... She's Mindy. I couldn't tell. I could not answer. Jig, what to tell that lady? She um, wanted to know what is God? No, no why, why do we... Why do we... Oh. Why is God... What makes him so special? Is basically what, what it boils down to. Because she wants to know... Um, oh, was it a Marissa?